Chapter Twenty Six of Nobody's Man by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Gerard. Chapter Twenty Six. Whilst Tallente was trying to make up for the years of pleasant good fellowship which his overstudious life had cost him, and to recover touch with the friends of his earlier days, Stephen Dartrey, filled with a queer sense of impending disaster, was climbing the steps to Nora's flat. On the last landing he lingered for a moment and clenched his fingers. "'I am a coward,' he reflected sadly. "'I have asked for this, and it has come.' He stood for a moment perfectly still, with half-closed eyes, seeking for self-control very much in the fashion of a man who says a prayer to himself. Then he climbed the last few stairs, rang the bell, and held out both his hands to Nora, who answered it herself. "'Commend my punctuality,' he began why call attention to the one and only masculine virtue she replied let me take your coat he straightened his tie in front of the looking-glass and turned to look at her with something like wonder in his eyes dear hostess he exclaimed what has come to you an epoch of vanity she declared turning slowly around that he might appreciate better the clinging folds of her new black gown don't dare to say that you don't like it for heaven only knows what it costs me it isn't only your gown it's your hair coiffured she confided by an artist not an ordinary hairdresser at all he only works for a few of our aristocracy and one or two leading ladies on the stage i pulled it half down and built it up again but it's an improvement isn't it it suits you he admitted but but your color natural absolutely natural she insisted you can wet your finger and try it if you like it's excitement if you look into the depths of my wonderful eyes i have the wonderful eyes haven't i marvellous you will see that i am suffering from suppressed excitement to-day is quite an epoch to tell you the truth i am rather nervous about it is he here you shall see him presently she promised come along where is susan he asked as he followed her gone out so has my maid I had a fancy to turn everyone else out of the flight. Your only hot course will be from a chafing dish. You see, I am anxious to impress him with my culinary skill. I hope you will like your dinner, but it will be rather a picnic. Dartrey glanced back at the hall stand. There was no hat or coat there except his own. He followed Nora into the little study, which was separated only by a curtain from the dining room i think your idea is excellent he pronounced and you will forgive me he added producing the parcel which he had been carrying under his arm see what i brought you to drink your health and his even if he does not know yet the good fortune in store for him he set down a bottle of champagne upon the table she laughed softly you dear man she exclaimed fancy your thinking of it i thought you scarcely ever touched wine i am not a crank he replied sometimes my guests have told me that i have quite a reasonably good cellar for a man who takes so little himself to-night i am going to drink a glass of champagne pommery she exclaimed i hope you'll be able to open it that shall be my task he promised you needn't worry about flippers i have some in my pocket and by the by he added glancing at the clock where is your other guest it is ten minutes past eight and I can hear your chafing dish sizzling. 
she threw back the curtain and took his arm the table was late for two he looked at it in bewilderment and then back at her he has disappointed you she smiled up at him he has disappointed me many many times she said but not tonight i don't understand he faltered i think you do she answered he took the chair opposite to hers the chafing dish was between them he was filled with a curious sense of unreality it was a little scene this out of a story or a play it didn't actually concern him it wasn't nora who sat within a few feet of him bending down over the chafing dish and stirring its contents vigorously of course she said i am perfectly well aware that this is an anticlimax i am perfectly well aware too that you will have a most uncomfortable dinner you won't know what to say to me and you'll be dying all the time to look in your calendar and see if this is leap year but even we working women sometimes she went on smiling bravely up at him have whims i had a whim stephen to let you know that i am very stupidly fond of you and although it isn't your fault and i expect nothing from you except that you do not alter our friendship you just stand in the way whenever i think of marrying anyone perhaps because speech seemed so inadequate dartrey said nothing he sat looking at her with a queer emotion in his soft studious eyes drumming a little on the table with his fingertips not quite sure what it meant that his heart was beating like a young man's and a queer sensation of happiness was stealing through his whole being nothing in the world he murmured could alter our friendship what you see before you she went on is an oyster stew the true hostess you see studying her guests special tastes it is very nearly cooked and if you do not pronounce it the most delicious thing you ever ate in your life i shall be terribly disappointed dartrey sat as still as a man upon whom some narcotic influence rested and his words sounded almost unnatural i am convinced he assured her that i shall be able to gratify you what you get afterwards you see upon the sideboard cold partridges both young birds though ham salad of my own mixing and behold my one outburst of extravagance strawberries there is also a camembert cheese lying in ambush outside because of its strength i would suggest that during the three minutes which will ensue before i serve you with the stew you open the champagne you are so dumbfounded at my audacity that perhaps a little exercise will be good for you dartrey rose to his feet produced the corkscrew and found the cork amenable he filled nora's glass and his own then he leaned over her and took her hand for a moment his face was full of kindness and he was curiously disturbed you are the dearest child on earth nora he said i find myself wishing from the bottom of my heart that it were possible that you could be something nearer and dearer to me she looked feverishly into his face and pushed him away go and sit down and don't be absurd she enjoined try and forget everything else except that you are going to eat and oysters do that is really the way to take life isn't it in cycles and it doesn't matter then whether one's happy times are bounded by the coming night or the coming years for five minutes then a paradise of oyster stew it is distinctly the best oyster stew i have ever tasted in my life he pronounced a few minutes later 
it is very good indeed she assented now your turn comes go to the sideboard and bring me something remember that i am hungry and don't forget the salad and tell me incidentally whether you have heard anything of a rumour going around about andrew tallente he served her and himself and resumed his seat a rumour he repeated no i have heard nothing what sort of a rumour a vague but rather persistent one she replied they say that it is in the power of certain people to drive him out of political life at any moment dartrey's smile was sufficiently contemptuous but there was a note of anxiety in his tone which he could not altogether conceal these canards are very absurd nora he declared the politician is the natural quarry of the blackmailer but i should think no man of my acquaintance has lived a more blameless life than andrew tallente i will tell you in what form the story came to me she said it was from a journalist on the staff of one of our great london dailies the rumour was that they had been indirectly approached to know if they would pay a large sum for a story perfectly printable but which would drive talent out of political life do you know the name of the newspaper he asked eagerly i was told nora answered but under the most solemn abjuration of secrecy you ought to be able to guess it though then a woman whom i met at the lyceum club this afternoon asked me outright if there was any truth in certain rumours about talent so people must be talking about it the cloud lingered on dartrey's face he ate and drank in his usual sparing fashion silently and apparently wrapped in thought from the other side of the pink-shaded lamp which stood in the middle of the table nora watched him with a curious almost a sardonic sadness in her clear eyes an hour ago she had looked at herself in the mirror and had been startled at what she saw the lines of her black gown the most extravagant purchase of her life had revealed the beauty of her soft and shapely figure her throat and bosom had seemed so dazzlingly white her hair so rich and glossy her eyes full of the hope the softness almost the anticipatory joy of the woman who has everything to offer to the one man in her life she had felt as she had looked almost a girl with music on her lips and joyous things in her heart nursing that wonderful gift to her sex the hopeless optimism begotten of love and her little house of cards had tumbled so quickly to the ground the little denouement on which she had counted had fallen so flat the two were there alone the little dinner which she had planned was as near perfection as possible the champagne bubbled in their glasses the soft light the solitude the stillness nothing had failed her except the man stephen sat within a few feet of her with furrowed brow and mind absorbed by a possible political problem nora made coffee at the table but they drank it seated in great easy chairs drawn up to the fire she passed him silently a box of his favourite brand of cigarettes perhaps that evidence of her forethought the mute resignation of her restrained conversation with its attempted note of cheerfulness forced its way through the chinks of his unnatural armour his whole face suddenly softened he leaned across and took her fingers into his dear nora he sighed what a brute i must seem to you and how difficult it is for me to try and tell you all that is in my heart all tasks that are worth attempting are difficult she murmured please go on they are such simple things that i feel he began simple and yet contradictory 
i should miss you more out of my life than any other person i shall resent from my very soul the man who takes you from me and yet i know what life is here i know how inexorable are its decrees you have a fancy for me born of kindness and sympathy because you know that i am a little lonely in our thoughts too we live so much in the same world that is just one of the ironies of life nora our thoughts can move linked together through all the flowery and beautiful places of the world but our bodies alas dear do you know how old i really am i know how young you are she answered with a little choke in her throat i am fifty-four years old he went on i am in the last lap of physical well-being even though my mind should continue to flourish and you are how much younger i dare not think idiot she exclaimed at fifty-four you are better and stronger than half the men of forty i have good health he admitted but no constitution or manner of living is of any account against the years in six years time i shall be sixty years old she leaned a little towards him now once more the light was coming back into her eyes if that was the only thing with him in twelve years time from now she said i too shall turn over a chapter the chapter of my youth what is time but a relative thing who shall measure your six years against my twelve the years that count in the life of a man or a woman are the measure of their happiness she glided from her chair and sank on her knees beside him her lips pleaded he took her gently far too gently into his arms dear nora he begged be kind to me it is for your sake i know what love should mean for you what it must mean for every sweet woman you see only the present it is my hard task to look into the future for you can't you understand she whispered feverishly that i would rather have that six years of your life and its aftermath than an eternity with any other man bend down your head stephen her hands were clasped around his neck her lips forced his for a moment they remained so while the room swam around her and her heart throbbed like a mad thing then she slowly unlocked her arms and drew away as though unconscious of what she was doing she found herself rubbing her lips softly with her handkerchief she threw herself back in her chair a little recklessly very well stephen she said you know your heart best drink your coffee and i'll be sensible again directly to his horror she was shaken with sobs he would have consoled her but she motioned him away dear stephen she pleaded i am sorry to be such a fool but this thing has lived with me a long time and would you go away it would be kindest he rose to his feet hesitated for one moment of agony then crossed the room with a farewell glance at the sad little feast he closed the door softly behind him descended the stairs and stood for a moment in the entrance hall looking out upon the street a cheerless drizzling rain was falling the streets were wet and swept with a cold wind he looked up and down thought out the way to his club and shivered thought out in misery the way back to chelsea the turning of his latch-key the darkened rooms the house opposite was brilliantly lit up they seemed to be dancing there and the music of violins floated out into the darkness even as he stood there he felt the bands of self-control weaken about him a vision of the cold gray days ahead terrified him 
he was pitting his brain against his heart lives had been wrecked in that fashion philosophy as the years creep on is but a dour consolation he saw himself with the jewel of life in his hand prepared to cast it away he turned around and ran up the stone steps light-hearted and eager as a boy nora heard the door open and raised her head on the threshold stood stephen transformed rejuvenated the lover shining out of his eyes the look in his face for which she had prayed he came towards her speechless save for one little cry that ended like a sob in his throat took her into his arms tenderly but fiercely held her to him while the unsuspected passion of his lips brought paradise into the room you care she faltered this is not pity he held her to him till she almost wooed the restraint of so many years was broken down must i after all be the teacher he asked passionately as their lips met again must i show you what love is End of chapter twenty six